0: Oh, you just love Napa Valley, don't you? Well, me too. And on today's show, I've got third-generation vintner Michael Martini. He's the grandson of Louis M. Martini of the famed Louis M. Martini Winery here in St. Helena, Napa Valley, celebrating its 80th year. He's not that old, but he's going to be giving us stories of the family that go way, way back. Lots of fun, great, intriguing stuff. And he's a busy guy. I've got to give him credit for coming in. We talked just as Harvest was starting out. And as you are going to hear, this guy doesn't let any grass grow under him. So I was very appreciative that he came out to talk to us, give a little bit of the story about the winery, the family, and just really all the cool stuff he's involved in. You're going to love it. In the meantime, before we get to the show, just want to let you know that the fine folks at Judd's Hill Winery here in Napa Valley, that would be me, are trying to make it easy for you to get some fine wine into your cellar. So as a nice little perk to you, my thank you for being a listener to Judd's Napa Valley Show, I've got a little special for you. Visit juddshill.com, have a look at what we've got in the wine department, and on checkout, while you're getting some of our fine wines, type in JNVS, which stands for Judd's Napa Valley Show, J-N-V-S in lowercase letters, and you'll get 1515% off your entire wine order. Not bad. And that code will be good at least through October 2013. Of course, if you're a Jud's Hill Wine Club member, you'll get even a better deal than that. And if you're not already a member, well, I think you ought to be. You're missing out on some fun and some great wines if you're not. All that information, as well as visiting information, can be found at Judshill.com. For a good time, come visit us at Jud's Hill.
1: Enjoy today's show. Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show. No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley Show. On Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa, Judd's Napa Valley, Judd's Napa Valley Show. And now... Live from the 1440 KVON studio in the beautiful Napa Valley in the state of California in the United States of America, Judd's Napa Valley Show is back on the air. I'm Lauren Mole, and here's your host. Judd Bengalside Top of the morning to you there, Lauren Top of the day, Judd Good
0: to see you, man You too You know, we've been on break for a uh, couple of weeks And haven't seen you And
1: I understand you've been up to some uh, pretty cool
0: stuff What's been going on?
1: Well, I got to say, take me out to the ball game three weeks ago in the seventh inning at a Giants game. I was there in attendance. You did a
0: fabulous job, I must say. Thank you. And um, but and since then, you have
1: you've taken the act on the road. I have. Where were you just recently? I got to go to the Boston Green Fest, Judd. It was my first ever trip to the East Coast. And you went to Boston. I did.
0: And did you soak in a little American history while you were out there?
1: I did. And this was all through
0: Everybody is a Star. Sure. Everybodystar.org is the website for the organization you're involved with. And your video is there, which I often plug. But what happened at this Green Fest? What is the Green Fest and what were you doing out there?
1: Well, it, it was an environmentally friendly uh, music festival. And I brought a couple of the items here that I wore during the festival. Oh. what? Do you, oh, it's a... Uh, is that a necklace made of plastic bottle caps? It actually is.
0: <laughs> so you're recycling, uh,
1: repurposing, reusing? Yes, sir. Okay. And wait till you see what else I brought. What's that? It's a it's a belt, but it's actually made out of a tire tube. <laughs> did you wear that belt? Oh, I did, too. Did, did it keep your pants up? Yes, it did. <laughs> okay. That's wonderful. You're a crafty young man. <laughs> That's right. Were you singing there, too? Is that part of the deal? As a matter of fact, I was. I got to sing my music video there.
0: Oh, oh! The uh, is
1: that Michael Bublé. Michael song? Bublé. Great! So you reenacted that. I did. Is that available for viewing anywhere? Uh, on www.everybodystar.org. It's this website goes 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And even on leap, leap year, 366. Yes,
0: absolutely. So your performance at uh, Boston Green Fest can be seen there. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not sure if it is. Oh. Well, well, how can we hear it? Was it recorded somewhere, your performance? I know your video is at that website, right. uh, your professionally produced video, but your performance at the Boston Green Fest. Uh, not, not certain about that yet. I'm going to find out, and okay. I'm still waiting to get a copy. I've been promised of your take me out to the Ball Game" at the Giants. Right. Man, speaking of the Giants, we had quite a day on Sunday. Uh, This past Sunday, the Giants versus the Pirates went out there. And, of course, as you know, we have uh, at Judd's Hill our web series called Wine Booty, which is a pirate-themed wine talk show. We have vintners, brewers, chefs um, come on. And uh, it all takes place in the Pirates' den of our wine pirate, Captain Wiley Raven. So on Sunday at the game, we took him out to maraud McCovey Cove in a pirate ship made out of wine barrels, uh, made by a fantastically creative artist and... um Builder David Hop here in town. In fact, um, the Napa Register had a whole story about him and this boat. You can look that up at the Napa Valley Register website. Put in um, David Hop, uh, H-O-P-P, and that'll come up. But we took the pirate out into this, in this teeny little pirate ship, and cruised him around McCovey Cove. And huge hit. People were loving it. He made uh, the jumbotron. He made CBS Sports' undisputed photo of the day coverage on USA Today. And folks were stopping and taking pictures. The other folks in the cove were paddling up to him uh, to take pictures. And he may or may not have had some chilled Judd's Hill rosé and Sauvignon Blanc that he was pouring out today. So very popular pirate out there in the cove. In fact, there's video of it right now on the Judd's Hill Facebook page. So if you're listening live uh, as opposed to the podcast version which is available in the iTunes store of Judd's Napa Valley Show. If you're listening live right now you can go to the Judd's Hill Facebook page and check out video of the pirate in action. It's actually from the television broadcast on um, uh, uh, the NBC cable sports. Comcast Sportsnet. Well it was the NBC one um, that was airing the game and it's kind of fun to hear the the commentators talking about the uh, pirate
1: ship. Anyhow We've got a big show, so let's get to it, shall we, Lauren? Absolutely, Judd. A Napa winemaking star whose influence reaches quite far, creates potions well above par while rocking his wailing guitar. Let's welcome... Mike Martini. Mike, good morning.
0: Good morning. It's good to see you. You know, Lauren, that was a great intro. Um, that was fabulous. <laughs> you
1: like that, Mike? I like that.
0: Oh, good. I'm glad that we went with that one. Um, I know you suggested one. It seemed a little obvious, making the rhymes with his last name. You know, this seemed a little obvious, but it was, uh, he ain't no meanie. Making wine with secret skills like Houdini and looking fine in a bikini. <laughs> Let's give it up for Mike Martini. So that one seemed a little That, was, that, was, that
2: was a bit of a stretch.
0: <laughs> nah. Nah, no, okay. I'm glad we went with the one we got. I Ma- didn't think so. Mike Martini, you, um, man, where to start with you? I say that about every guest, but it seems especially true with you because your family history goes so far back here in Napa Valley and in winemaking Let's go back to the beginning. I mean, certainly with your your grandfather starting a wine business here in the Valley, do you want to take us back to that time or maybe even pre that time?
2: I'll take take you back before that. Uh, Okay. uh, We're Ligurian Italian, which Mm -hmm. is the stretch of Italy that runs from Genoa to Nice uh, along the coastline. That's the Ligurian Sea. Yeah. And my uh, great-grandfather was... uh, A shoe salesman, you might call him. He'd go to the uh, penitentiary, and all the prisoners would make shoes, and then he would take the shoes and go to the fairs and sell them to all the poor people. Really? And he decided that wasn't a good enough living. So he came to San Francisco to start a fish business. And when is this? This is 1893. Okay. And uh, that was Agostino. And and, uh, my... Grandfather was born, at, obviously, at that point in time, uh-huh. but his mother stayed in Italy because the father, her father was ailing, and that was oh. how the Italians work. The oldest daughter he has to stay and take care of the parents. So uh, he, Agostino came over on his own, and when my grandfather was 13, he came over and joined my great-grandfather, and they were in the fishing business they had uh, a very successful fishing business they were doing they had three boats 35 people working for them and uh, made enough money they bought a house down near bay street down near the wharf and that was a made it a boarding house but every night when they cooked dinner they cooked it for 25 or 30 people because there was a lot of Italians that were out of work. So
0: they just brought the neighborhood in?
2: So they just brought the neighborhood in every oh. night they had fish. I think that was the original cioppino because uh, you know <laughs> they had a big f- soup pot and they, if you could throw something in, you did. And if you couldn't, you could still take it out. So when he delivered fish in the morning, you know the other Italians knew what was going on. They'd throw a sack of potatoes on the cart or tomatoes or whatever it happened to be. Uh-huh. So anyway...
0: Well, that's very cool. I mean, cioppino, <clears throat> a famous dish the world over, a San Francisco creation, it could very well, have been your grandfather yeah, who they was the originator. Didn't, probably didn't call it grapevine. They probably
2: called it fish stew. Uh, anyway, so what happened was in 1906, somebody gave him some lug boxes of grapes. And uh, he said, Well, I'm going to tell you. So he goes in the backyard and he steps <laughs> on them instead and, it's dead and he makes his first uh, salad dressing. And, uh, and uh, thought he, he liked challenges. He said, Well, there's something more to this. I better learn how to do this. I want to do this right. Mm-hmm. So he told his dad that he was homesick and wanted to go see his mom. So he went back to Italy, and he went to the University of Alba. And at the university, uh, the, the gentleman he said, "I want to take the wine courses here." And the guy said, "Well, the problem is, Louis, is that you have to go to high school before you go to college," and he had gotten off his education at 13 years old. Oh. and so uh, a kindly professor gave him a book. Said, "Come back in a couple days. I'll ask you some questions out of the book." So he read the book and went back, and the professor asked him. And my grandfather had said, "You know, I guess I got him right because he let me audit three classes," and it was the basics on how to make wine. And then I said, "Well, I'd like to go here, do this," and and. The The professor said, well, what do you really want to do with your life? He goes, I want to go to California and make wine. So he said, well, why don't you just go to California and make wine?
0: (laughs) And this wasn't because Napa Valley was this amazing wine destination. It's just where his family was at the time.
2: This had nothing to do with it. They were in San Francisco. Right. So uh, our first winery was actually in 1908, and it was in Pleasanton. In Pleasanton. At, in Pleasanton. Just east of uh, town a little bit. Just east of town. And and it went bankrupt in 1910. Oh. And he became a winemaker for hire, and his first job was Guasti, which is Bonded Winery number 1, which is in, I guess, East L.A., um, down down in uh, Cucamonga. Oh, sure. And and uh, so if you land at the Ontario airport there, you look down, you see an old winery that's Guasti. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were in the red. They are having problems. And, and so he went in and took the job of turning them around, it took them four years to do it, put them in the black, had you know, made good wine. They were making money. As soon as they were making money, the family sold the winery and the family that bought the winery fired him. Oh, no. And so he went through a series of different wineries doing the same thing. And uh, um, one of the people he met along the way was A.P. Giannini, who owned the Bank of Italy. And, sure. And and uh, come 1919 with our social experiment called Prohibition, AP was having a hard time collecting oh. off of the, those people they had to loan money to that were wineries because they had a hard time with their cash flow because yeah. they couldn't sell wine. Yeah, that'll put a crimp in it. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, there was two gentlemen in the uh, San Joaquin Valley in Kingsburg. And uh, they were having problems. And, and uh, he said, well, maybe Louie could figure it out. So they sent for my grandfather. And he came down. And, he, and they said, well, look, we get really, I don't have any more money to pay you than to feed your family. But we have a house you can live in. And if you take this job, we'll give you a third of the winery. And so uh, he did. Deal. He did. He changed the name to Louis M. Martini Grape Products. Made grape concentrate. Uh, shipped it in barrels to the East Coast. Sold it in the auction blocks in New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. The old Italians would take it home, dump it in the bathtub, turn on the tap, and reconstitute itself. <laughs> of course, there was yeast in the air. It would ferment out. Yeah. And that was the beginnings of Dago Red. And <laughs> that's how the Italians made it through prohibition. It was 1933 when prohibition was obviously going to be repealed because that's what Roosevelt came in in 32 on Mm -hmm. with that platform, so he knew he needed a cool climate to grow really good wine grapes. So he came to the Napa Valley, and and uh, bought the property that we're on in the spring, built the winery in in the um, summer, and crushed into it that fall. So that
0: spot just in uh, just south of downtown St. Helena is the original.
2: That's the original spot and the original building. Wow. And he built the original winery for 1.2 million gallons. So he was really thinking ahead of wow. himself. Wow, really? Yeah. At that time? At that time. He saw the market. Yeah. So he saw the market. And, of course, we were one-stop shopping at the time. because There's only like five wineries up here. Right, right. So, so uh, you had to be the aperitif and you had to be the dessert wine. You had to be everything in between. Mm-hmm. You know? he made everything. You made everything. So, so by the time I got there, I think we had 25 different wines that we were making. No kidding. You know, we started thinning that out until today we're just Cabernet. But uh, anyway, so he was the winemaker until 1946. My father graduated in 1941 from, uh, well, it was Berkeley at the time in food science, uh, which is where the department, Davis department was in Hewitt Hall in Berkeley until the 50s. And, and uh, so my father graduated there, the class of, uh, there was a class of five of them. It was him, Myron Nightingale, uh, Zeb Halperin, uh, uh, a guy named Onassis, and um, was the other one. The other guy I never knew because he died before I was, I was aware. But anyway, they were having their class reunion at one point. Oh, Charlie Crawford. And they were having their cl- class reunion at one point in time and realized that they were running 85% of the California wine business. <laughs> <laughs> Between <laughs> the five of them, Charlie Crawford took over Gallo. Right. Uh, and my dad was Martini. Myron Nightingale at the time was Cuesta Blanca. Yeah. And, and Zev Halperin was uh, Christian Brothers. How about that? And they had thought, it locked up. Yeah. So so uh, anyway, so my dad went off to the war after he graduated, and came back in '46, and then he was away from '46 to '76, and I worked '74, '5 and '6 with him while I was going to Davis, and then I took over in '77. So we're celebrating our 80th anniversary this year.
0: That is just incredible. Not too many other spots around the valley can boast that type of history mm-hmm. and. Um, that lineage you know, that goes so far back. And i got to say, your father, I didn't know your, your, your grandfather, but I, I got to meet your father because I was a junior in high school, and we were assigned in our history class to kind of pick our own subject of history and do a report on it. So I chose Napa Valley during Prohibition, and I kind of sought out the folks who had been around or knew a little something about it, I mean, you just said your father didn't really start until the 40s, but, you know, he was in the family at the time. And he was great. He let me come in with a uh, video camera into his office and talk to him for a long time. And I just found this video. I'll have to bring it out and show you. But your father's there. Um, Ray Rossi, old grower up in St. Helena, was there, you know, no longer with us. Um, Brother Timothy sat down with me for a long time up at Christian Brothers and talked about it. But I just remember how... um, kind and open your father was for just this kid who didn't really even know, just calling him up and saying, hey, can I come in and talk to you? And I, oh, he was I'm great. very was, grateful for that. Right. And, and you today making the time to come mm-hmm. talk to me as well. So did you grow up crushing grapes? I would imagine. I mean, it's part of your DNA, it seems.
2: Well, we always grew up working in the agricultural industry because this was a very, very agrarian community at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, but... Uh, no, I didn't actually grow up crushing grapes. We grew up picking prunes. That's so, right. Napa Valley, is, is big prune So, so Frank, uh, Creasy, yeah, Frank Creasy would drive down the highway, and all the kids were standing on the side of the highway, <laughs> and he had a big old flatbed truck, and we'd all jump on the back of the truck, and he'd take us down, and we'd spend the morning picking prunes and to get paid for it. When I was 10, my dad said, if you want anything after this, you're gonna to have to earn it yourself, and then he gave us a job at the winery. So I started, by obviously, pushing a broom. But uh, but, but he got
0: uh, you into the business. But he
2: got me into the business, and he paid us a dollar an hour. And and, good money. Uh, yeah, that was really good money, and we worked uh, half a day all through summer and our, our vacations and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And slowly over time, you know, as I grew up, I did everything in the winery pretty much, and, and then did some stuff in the vineyards. Obviously, most of the time that you're working in the vineyards, you're really in school. So. You know, oh, for sure. Yeah, so it, t- it took a little longer to learn the vineyard part of it, but uh, yeah. So I started working in the winery when I was ten, and and uh, I took over as winemaker in seventy seven.
0: So that was a lot, lot later. <laughs> so something, something in your school of picking and pruning and crushing and fermenting made you uh, decide this is the life for me. And and it wasn't just that you grew up in it. You went off and you studied it. You went to UC Davis. You got my degree
2: in it. Got a degree. Yeah. Uh, it, I was sitting on top of the tanks. I was painting serial numbers on them and, and looking at this tank <laughs> farm. So I remember it striking me. And it, it suddenly struck me that uh, everything that you could possibly want as a career is in the wine business. There's art. There's science. There's agriculture. There's marketing. There, there's accounting. There's you know, sales. There's... I mean, every, everything that any other business would offer, the wine industry offered, and my family had a winery. Yeah. <laughs> so it seemed like a no-brainer after that.
0: Yeah, I wished I had thought of that sooner. You know, I went away from it for quite some time and, and got back into it about 15, 16 years ago. And I'm very happy I did. And what I love about it is what you just said. There's... You can do everything. It's never monotonous. You know, I don't like repetition, and it seems like every day I'm doing something
2: new. Well, the other great part about it is I get to travel all over the world because wine's still an ambassador. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And you do. You seem to always be cruises, especially. You seem to always be cruising. What's going on with that? How do you. (laughs) About six years ago, I've been playing in a rock band for about 25 years now. And about six years ago, we happened to fall into the cruise. Business. Yeah, so, how so. so So we play, we're all wine guys, and, and uh, we uh, do wine lectures in the morning and we play in the clubs at night, and they give us a free cruise for it. <laughs> so we've been going around the world cruising and playing music. So who's in your band? Uh, well, right now we have Ed Spragia, who is Spragia Family Vineyards up in Dry Creek. He mm-hmm. was the uh, Emeritus 32 year winemaker for uh, Behringer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he came up under Myra Nightingale, Bob Janice, and Bob is uh, was public relations, sales, and marketing for uh, Behringer for a long Time has collection Claude of all and finally retired from uh, Turnbull. Uh, we have a guy named uh, John Hawkins, who is kind of a Mackenzie's boy, who who is uh, he writes your marketing plan for you, and then writes your bankruptcy plan later on. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, uh, we have a drummer is, is named uh, Eric Heck, and he's actually not in the wine business, but we got to have a ringer somewhere. So.
0: And the name of your band is Private Reserve. Correct. CD is uncorked.
2: Yeah, well, that was a long time ago with a set of different players. We had Steve Buell and Pat Heck on board at the time. But Well, you know
0: what? I happen to have a track queued up right now. Should we give it a listen? Sure. All right. This is. And what are you doing on this? Are you singing or are you playing guitar? I'm, I'm the lead guitar player. Lead guitar. This is Private Reserve featuring Mike Martini on lead guitar with the track Flip, Flop and Fly.
2: Pots and pears Well, more breakfast I'm a hungry man Whip, flip, flop, and fly Don't care if I die Sittin' on a holly stump I'm like a Mississippi bullfrog Sittin' on a holly stump I heard so many wheels I don't know which way
1: to jump So flip, flop, and fly Don't care if I die Flip, flop, and fly Don't care if I die Willow on my breakfast I'm a hungry man Get yeah.
0: All right, Flip, Flop, and Fly by Private Reserve, featuring the hot licks and lead guitar playing of my guest, Mike Martini. That was fun, man. Yeah, it was. Thanks for bringing that along. (laughs) But you're really, I mean, you're really into this. You guys just hosted a rock and roll fantasy camp up at the winery, didn't you?
2: We thought we'd do something different and big for our 80th, and and uh, so we got together with the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp out of Las Vegas, and we brought in a bunch of superstars, and it was it was overwhelming, and overwhelmingly good. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so we have they had five counselors that came in: Kane Robert Rogers, who, who is the uh, lead guitar player behind Alice Cooper. He's also played oh, with cool. uh, uh, Rod Stewart. We had uh, Bruce Kulak, who oh, Kiss. is yeah of Kiss for yeah. 15 years now, playing with, with with Grand Funk uh, Railroad. Oh, nice. Uh, we had uh, Vinnie Appice, who was the drummer behind uh, Black Sabbath, uh-huh. and and then Neo. They got into the band Neo. We had Philip uh, Philip uh, Susan, who is the uh, bassist. He's European. That played behind Billy Holiday, and no then kidding. and then we had Teddy. I can never say his last name. I think it's Abernath, who is the uh, keyboardist for Gun and Roses. Oh, right on. they were the camp counselors. And And they had Michael Martini. And they had Michael Martini. Yeah, rock and roll superstar of Napa Valley. So they would put, uh, 12 people came in that had paid for the experience, Mm -hmm. and then they would put two bands together, two six person's bands together, and then they divided it up, and they took them, and they had to perfect three songs, and they had 48 hours to do it in. Wow. And uh, then they would practice for two hours, and I did Cabernet Camp. And so we brought some grapes in, we had them crush grapes and sort grapes and punch them down and yeast them and everything else, and ending with, you know, and doing tastings all the way through this, ending with... Uh, uh, making their own blend-up so they could take their own wine home with them. What a fantastic yeah. experience. So anyway, and then Saturday night, uh, uh, Joe Satriani came in. Yeah. And that was that was super special. And he did uh, four songs, three of them with with just the counselors, and then I got up and I got to jam with him on uh, Little Wing. Uh,
0: Hendrix was, classic. Yes. I saw a photo of you guys, uh, I think it was on your Facebook page, and it was, it looks so fun. The two of you are just so into it. You've got your guitar there. He's got his guitar, Joe Satriani. I'm so tempted to get my Photoshop out and just put myself in there, in that scene with my ukulele. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, Michael Martini, we're going to have to take a quick break. Lauren, you want to give us an outro?
1: We'll be back with more of Judd's Napa Valley Show right after these messages. And now. Back to the return engagement of Judd's Napa Valley Show with me, Lauren Mole, and your host, Judd Buggleside. Thank you very much, Lauren Mole. That's right, the
0: return engagement because we were off for the past couple weeks and uh, certainly glad to be back. We've got our guest today, Mr. Michael Martini, telling us his long family history in Napa Valley and um, iconic winery, of course, the Lou Martini Winery. And we, before we went to break, we just heard a little bit of your rock and roll, your lead guitar playing with Private Reserve, your band, and how you cruise around the world with this band. I mean, what a great gig that is. You get to make wine, drink wine, meet fun folks, eat well, cruise the world, play rock and roll music.
2: Your tough life.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Not bad, man. Not bad. But you've got another project as well besides the uh, Louis Martini wines. You've got your M Squared.
2: M Squared is my own brand, yes. Okay, let's hear about that. So M Squared is the oldest Cabernet grapes grown in the state of California. And I kind of t- took and stylized it after Vegas Cecilia in, in ex- very extended barrel times. So I'm 42 months in wood, and I make 150 cases a year of this. And that's it. Uh, wow. That's it. And after 42 months in wood, it's extremely stable. I mean, you can open a bottle and drink half of it and leave it sit on your sink for a week, and it's, it tastes just as good the next week.
0: Wait, say that again. How many months in wood? 42.
2: 42 months in wood. So it's just a Vegas Sicilia goes four or five years Okay. a lot of times. Now, they're using Tempranillo and they're in Spain. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, when I'm using Cabernet, I'm in California. But stylistically, I, it's one of the things that I played with over time in our winery is I've tried some extended you know time in, in wood. Uh, and it actually goes through a period where the wood becomes so strong in the wine that you think you killed it. And then it, it for some reason, it resolves itself. And uh, it's not very strong at all. When you finally get around to it, you you learn to tell by smell and and taste, you know, where the proper point is to bottle. Get your nose trained. Pretty traditionally now, this is the, what, 10th vintage, that uh, it's right around 42 months. That's something. I mean, that's certainly, you know, longer than
0: the average cab spends in oak, you know, from what I hear from folks I talk to. You know, you're looking at 18 months, two years, some maybe a little more, but 42 months is... Right. That's something else. Right. And it's delicious. I've had the good fortune to to try that M-squared. In fact, you were very generous to donate. I didn't get to try this, but I just want to thank you publicly for donating a large a large bottle of it to um, our annual dinner that we have for the fund in honor of my father. And uh, that benefits of preschool here. So I want to thank you again for that. Um, the lucky bidder was very happy to get that. So with the M-squared, is that is that something... Is that a place folks can visit, uh, taste wine, or is that you've got to be on, no, the list get your allocation, and it, that's You that. just get
2: your allocation, and, and that's that. Uh, it's not too tightly allocated. But I don't really have much time to sell it. So oh. <laughs> I, I'm busy selling Louis Martini. Uh, right, right. Um, but uh, uh, you, if you'd like to get it, you can go to msquaredwines.com. How's that spelled out? M, well, just like it sounds. M squared wines. Spelled out. Spelled S- out. U. It's spelled out. S, uh, yes, okay. exactly. M squared is spelled in this case. The actual logo is is an M with a Roman numeral 2 superscript. Right, right. And But uh, um, the, the site is m msquaredwines.com and if you go there, you can contact us. You can see kind of what we have, and a little bit about the vineyard and so forth and so on.
0: Well, that's very yeah. cool. Yeah. You know, it struck me many years ago. I thought this was a great story. We, both you and I, were on a panel that the Napa Valley Vintners Association put together to speak to. And this is where my memory does get a little hazy. It was either the Wine Writers Symposium was in town, or it may have been. Actually, I'm thinking maybe it was the. Um, it was a group of folks who were studying for their masters. Masters. Those I believe. masters Master Program? sommelier.
2: Right. Master of wine. Yeah, they, they would bring both in if they make it to second level. We still do that program year. Right. Time. Well, I guess they haven't asked me back in a while,
0: yeah. but several years ago I was on a panel along with you to speak to them a little bit about our uh, experience. It was all family winemakers. That's, that, I guess that was the theme. So I was honored to be chosen. You were on the panel as well. And they asked each of us panelists to bring one of our own wines and then a wine that inspired us in some way, had some special meaning to us. And I was very struck because you brought a wine, I think, that um, was very unexpected to this group of people studying for their masters of wine, Master Sommelier. You brought one of your own uh, wines that you had made, but you also brought a bottle of the Sutter Home White Zinfandel. And you told well, a great story about
2: that. That's pretty, That's pretty inspiring wine, actually. Yeah. I had no idea. I was running our crush pad in 1974, mm-hmm. and we had these World War II dry dock cranes that we would dump the grapes with. And I was, I was the driver. Uh-huh. And Roger Trincaro came over. Now, the Trincaro winery is straight across the street from us and has been since 1943. Yeah, the Sutter Home Winery. The Sutter Home Winery. Yeah. And, and uh, so Roger came over and said, Can I borrow your crane? I said, Well, I don't think I could ever teach you how to run this thing <laughs> it, took me, it took me some grapes on the ground to learn and so I said I'll just drive over with the crane you know and I'll if you need something dumped because they had bins that were coming in from the valley that were too big for their forklift to dump yeah so I drive across the street and I dump a lotus infidel and I drive back across the street and, and dump my grapes. Drive and when back you say the, the, street, the
0: street, you're talking about highway twenty nine. Highway twenty nine. So probably right. dodging traffic, trucks, cars, zooming yeah, by well,
2: there wasn't as many cars then. Okay. <laughs> but but, but uh, you know, nobody's gonna argue with a you know with a huge dry dock crane. So right. so, so so it's pretty easy to drive across the street. Anyway. So I did this at the end of harvest. I was sitting there doing my records, and Bob uh, Drink Carol calls up and he goes, "Hey, do you want to come over for, for some boni calda?"
0: Oh, that's their famous that, dish. Their family their fa- makes
2: right. And and I said, well, "What's that?" And he 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 goes, he goes, "Well, it's a lunch. We're doing a lunch, and, and mm-hmm. it's called Banya calda." So I said, "Well, I'll come over and have a glass of wine with you anyhow, because I'm working on my records." And he kind of chuckles, and so I go over. Uh-huh. I go over. Well, boni calda is is butter and oil and saturated with garlic and anchovies. Yeah. And you dip vegetables in in it and then you hold it over bread while you get it to your mouth Mm. and it's in a big frying pan in the middle. And but it's really salty. And so... It's hot and bubbly, too, right? It's hot and bubbly and salty. It was really good. Yeah. But then you get a thirst up. And and this is when they were making all the Deaver Vineyard red Zinfandels and stuff. The middle of the table was lined with red Zinfandels, which is the last thing you wanted with all that salt and stuff. And you see, you you turned around, and there was the water cooler. And the water coolers were all filled with white Zinfandel. Wow. (laughs) That was the first white Zinfandel. That was it. It was made to go with their baniacala. I don't know. I think they just made it, and then they decided they'd like to, like to make it. I think the first one was in 73. They had a mistake and made it. Well, uh, that and, mistake has paid it. off.
0: Yep. And, you know, it is an inspiring wine. I th- I would imagine that wine, due to its immense popularity, has drawn in so many wine drinkers that wouldn't have given wine a second oh, thought had it not been for that. Yeah, I think you got
2: a whole lot of people popping a cork. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Give it a lot of credit. Um, you know, I've I've been enjoying it a little bit lately as well. I'm a big fan of, um, well, the Build a Better Burger Contest that they do at Sutter Home and James McNair, the the head judge and the fellow who organizes for them is just, uh, to me, an inspiring person and I have several of his cookbooks and some of his burger cookbooks that tie in with the Build a Better Burger Contest call for some white Zinfandel in the meat. You know, you put a little wine into the meat and some other spices and whatnot. Um, So then I've got, you know, three quarters of a bottle still of a, why it's in, and it, man. It's great with a nice grilled burger.
2: <laughs> well, you know, rosés are coming back too. Yeah, you know, it's kind of on the verge of a rosé, but on a hot day, you, know, you can throw an ice cube in it. You know, and it's just fine. But yeah, you know, Trinceros are, are I think Napa Valley royalty at its best. I mean, they've done more for this valley, you know, with the yeah. daycare center in St. Helena and and their contributions to the, you know to hospitals and all the other things that they do. Very they, they, philanthropic they, family. A, a very philanthropic It's never gone to their heads of their success, and they became the number one varietal producer in the country
0: yeah and they make so much more than white Zinn. I know that's yeah. what it, uh, where they guess, guess to gain their modern fame but um, certainly Sutter home has other varieties and then their Trincaro family wines some you know fabulous high-end uh, wines as well now you were saying uh, with Louis Martini that at one point there were 25 plus different varieties of wines you were making mm. And that, that's not the case anymore? You said you whittled it down just a cab? That's it?
2: We whittled it down to just a cab. We decided that with the consolidation of wholesalers, we needed some way to focus the brand. Mm-hmm. And so starting in 2003, we became a Cabernet House. So for 10 years, nothing else. And for 10 years, nothing else, and, it was, and it's paid off greatly. Okay. You know, so so, so uh, um, you know, we grew to be the number one by distribution points Cabernet in the country four years ago. Oh, wow. Congrats. So, so, so uh, it's, it's, I have five layers of Cabernet, very little of the top one, a lot of them on the bottom side. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. And it's, it's all price-oriented. But, uh, uh, no, we're really proud of our, what we're doing now. Uh, we went together in a partnership with the Gallows mm-hmm. and used the Gallows distribution system. I know that I've entertained a slash. Yeah, that can't school. hurt. They can't hurt it at all. No, yeah. we we're in a, every province in Canada now. We t- went into the Nordics last year. Uh, in fact, the, later this week, I'm hosting, we had a chef contest in uh, Sweden, and the chef is coming out that won the contest. Oh, cool. A- and and uh, uh, we we're in, I think, all Latin American countries now, except Argentina and Chile, who seem to have a plenty of wine to drink themselves. Yeah, they've got <laughs> you know, a little bit down there. But, uh, you know, um, I think we're negotiating with Japan right now, and, and, and so it's, it's slowly, you know, we're going across the world, and, and which is great, because you get to travel there, too. So Of course.
0: Cruise <laughs> with your rock band. Yeah, there you go. Can you only imagine what your grandfather would be thinking right now, seeing this? Yeah. I think he'd be proud. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine so. so. Having yeah. started this out with just a... I mean, a he
2: thought big. If you think about a 1.2 million gallon winery in 1933, he obviously mm-hmm. thought big yeah
0: maybe well, not so surprised. maybe that was his expectation all along
2: but uh uh you know he, I think when my dad took over in in forty six we were at about ten thousand cases when he handed it to me, we were at about you know two hundred thousand cases mm-hmm. so 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 uh uh my dad did a huge amount towards not only isolating the proper grapes and the clones. He did a lot of work. He was the scientist, a true scientist. Yeah. Uh, my grandfather was, was much more gregarious, and I guess I'm somewhere in between the two of them.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, you've, you know, you've got your degree in enology, so I know you've got the science down, and gregarious goes without saying because you've been <laughs> proving that all along here. I was looking on your website, and there was a mention of, you know, this is your 80th year. Mm, cool. Something about eight lessons from eighty years come come meet Mike Martini and learn about eight lessons from eighty years well, that
2: was the part of the rock and roll fantasy camp. Can
0: you give us a little so, insight so
2: they're all life lessons you know perseverance you know you stick with something even even though sometimes it 'd be easier not to yeah, yeah. Uh, We were talking earlier I, I, about uh, the Napa Valley and the, uh, the the seven or eight year cycle here where people decide they want a place in the Napa Valley, so they come up here and they buy land, and they decide to put it in a vineyard. realize they don't know anything about vineyards, <laughs> so they hire a very expensive consultant. Okay. And then, uh, you know, three or four years later, they have grapes, and say, oh, so I don't know anything about winemaking. Hire another very expensive consultant who decides that what they really need to have, have is winery in order to make the wine in, so then they spend millions of dollars building a winery, right. and uh, they make their first wine, and now we're on year seven or year eight, and uh, realize there's 500 other wineries in the Napa Valley uh, trying to sell the wine at the same time. You know the same consumer,
0: right? And they're, they're years in and haven't even had a bottle out. You know, yeah, it takes they a lot to time. To bottle
2: in. Nobody, nobody's heard of them before. You know, they always say that their friends are going to. You know, well, I got enough friends. I'll just you know, sell it to them.
0: Sure, that might work the first year if you're making
2: 150 cases of wine. Yeah, if you're making 150 cases of wine, but right. you know, a lot of these guys are you know trying to make four or five, six hundred. Uh, I think most of the wineries in the Napa Valley are in the hundreds, not the thousands, but uh, of cases. Yes, yes. Yeah. But but uh, anyway, so then it's, it's really hard to sell wine. It is. Yeah, you know, so then they go, well, maybe I should sell the winery. <laughs> <laughs> and then
0: and, and, and guess what?
2: Somebody comes along and buys
0: it. <laughs> and, and, and the cycle starts again. You know, my father used to teach uh, small winery development at Napa College. And he said the number one lesson, I know you've got eight of them. That was a good example. But his number one lesson is have the marketing plan first. You know, if you don't have a plan to sell this stuff, it's just not going to go anywhere. And you're... You know, you may have a great Rolodex, but it's not going to get you far after year one. Right. So get that marketing.
2: Well, kit. and your dad built, what, three wineries, right?
0: Three wineries mm-hmm. here that's in the Valley. Uh, Whitehall Lane Winery back in the 70s, mm-hmm. basically where I grew up. And then uh, two iterations of Judd's Hill. Mm-hmm. You know, the original one was uh, my folks' house, little tiny right. house with a tiny winery. Now we're on Silverado Trail.
2: Yeah, oh. I was up there with uh, Men Who Cook. Said so.
0: Yeah, Men Who Cook. Let's talk about that briefly. This was a very... It still is a very cool
2: group. Um, yeah, Twelve years now, I think, has been going on, and it, it, it's a group of us. There's 13 of us, so somebody gets gets a year off, but because uh, <laughs> you rotate, we rotate. So every yeah. month, one of us puts on a dinner. It's like a five course dinner, All right? and uh, we have a theme for the year. So, so um, last year was slow cook. You had to, whatever you did you had, to, it had to be a slow cook. this year is regions, wine regions of the world. Oh you know so I've been over in Italy and I was uh, with my cousins in finale and uh, learning all the Ligurian recipes. so I'm doing Liguria. Have you had
0: your turn yet? Or no, not?
2: it comes up in November. But I've been learning how to make a, you know, octopus soporato and, ah. you know, and the, the saltfish and things like that. I should give my recipe, my menu away to my men who cook. And they, they might be listening. listening right now. Yeah, in fact, right. some
0: of them are going to be future guests. You've got kind of an all-star lineup over there. Well, that certainly was one of my father's favorite groups uh, to belong to and favorite groups of people to hang out with. He loved cooking, and uh, you know, only fond memories attached uh, to that oh, men yeah, who absolutely. cook group. <laughs>
2: Um, well, I I felt akin to your dad because we're the only other guys that show up in jeans. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, he he
2: he wouldn't mind guess getting dressed up once in a
0: while for a good occasion, but uh, you know, at heart, he was uh, just a casual dude. I liked doing things with his hands, whether it was cooking, making wine, building, woodworking, ceramics, painting. Anyway, that was a great group. I was lucky enough to come a couple times. And, uh, boy, something that impressed me I was uh, Hugh Carpenter, you know, Hugh, the mm-hmm. chef and cookbook author, and he'll be on the show, I think, in the fall. Um, he came and cooked over at Jud's Hill for the group. My father brought him in to do some of the cooking. He cooked for, I think, there was, uh, there was a few guests. It was about 14 guys, brought this gigantic wok and I don't know how many BTU propane burner, and he cooked dinner for about 14 dudes in about three minutes. He had already chopped up everything, had all his ingredients, got that wok hot, and then, boom! Everything went in, came right out, and dinner was served. It was incredible. What a what a spectacle! Uh, any other of the eight lessons from eighty years you want to impart? Patience, patience,
2: patience, patience. And, and a lot of what I was trying to do was cross tie it to music. You know, I mean, if you come in if you come in at the wrong place in music, you know, it doesn't sound good, as you know, as yeah. you know, because you play in bands, but. Uh, uh, a lot of things in nature need time to resolve themselves, and you can't push it. I I find it's the hardest thing to teach young winemakers is, is patience, because a lot of times, you know, you're building tannins in a wine when you're on the skins and so forth and yeah. so on, and there's a flip point in that tank where suddenly the tannins softened, mm-hmm. you, you know, and you need to wait for that time. And it could be out there at 21 days, could be out there at 28 days, you know, but you need to wait for that to happen. They're saying, oh, it's getting too much tannin, i got to get it off the skins. Well, if you pull it at that point in time, you're going to have too much tannin. They're going to stick. And it's going to stick, you know. Yeah. So, patience is, is uh, one of the lessons for sure. Um, you know, the good with perseverance is that I think that the passion in anything that's artistic is absolutely critical. Mm-hmm. And it sure makes it so you don't go to work. I mean, you, you don't mind it. <laughs> it's right. just like time doesn't count when you're passionate about something you you just do what it takes and that's the wine business you hit harvest you know and you're you know 12 7s for 3 months straight and, and but it's all wrapped around the product and and you know the, the tasting of the grapes in the vineyard and trying to forecast the wine from the taste of the grapes and so forth and so on but it's all about passion
0: well, you've so, got it—that's for sure—and your family has had it for you know, generations. It's incredible. You know, you were born here in Napa Valley, grew up here, still living here, working here. What, um, what still inspires you here? Or, or, or when you have folks come, where do you, where do you take them? What, what is it that you like about Napa? What do you like to show off?
2: We're great restaurants. Yeah, <laughs> like to eat. I like to eat. So there's, there's. Uh, great restaurants. I like to get them out in the back country a little bit, you know, Pope Valley, Child's Valley, mm-hmm. uh, you know. I also, you know, we have equal number of ranches in Sonoma as we did in Napa. This is before the Appalachians started, obviously. Oh, and, sure. And, and you know, Sonoma is a very fascinating area. You have to take them out to, uh, you know, you can go down to the admission in Sonoma. You can go to, you know, Jack London's house. You can go to Fort Ross. You can have a lot of history that is a much broader history almost than Napa. Napa's become a monoculture. You, know, and, and so, you feel do, that way? Yeah. Oh, very much. It's very much grapes. So when, when I grew up here, cattle number one, I spent more time yeah. north of Berryessa with the friars and punching cows <laughs> than, than I ever, ever did doing grapes. And uh, you know, then I think it was prunes, walnuts, and then grapes. And uh, the, the big panoramic scenes that you see now, you couldn't see because there were huge valley oaks everywhere. And and orchards, you know, all the uh, prune orchards and the walnut orchards and stuff. So it was a very, very different feel to it whatsoever. And Sonoma still has that feeling.
0: Yeah, in certain parts. Michael Martini, you're passionate about wine, there's no doubt. I now have to ask you do you go nuts for donuts?
2: Uh, No, actually, I (laughs) don't.
0: Well, today's not your lucky day then, because I have a selection of donuts. You don't have to eat one, okay. but you can see what the selection is. I and might
2: break down. They look pretty good.
0: They do. Uh, we're going to let you choose one right now. Once you okay. pick one of those out, I'm going to see. He doesn't go for the pink glaze. I'm not surprised. He no, goes for looks. the buttermilk cinnamon nub, oh, yes. whatever okay. that <laughs> cone thing is. So, with your experience winemaking, wine consuming, donut eating, um, <laughs> what would you be pairing with that right now? That cinnamon buttermilk. Deliciousness, well,
2: Cabernet, obviously. Of course. Okay, which one of your I, Louis Martini? My Sonoma County Cabernet. Sonoma County. I got County the 2011 Cabernet. out right now, and it's got this uh, because it was a very cool year. It has a, it has a sort of green peppercorn character oh. to it that I can see that and the cinnamon going really well together. Very good. All right, folks, rush out. Go get yourself a uh,
0: a donut, a cinnamon donut, and some uh, Sonoma Louis Martini Cab. Now it's time to play everybody's favorite party game here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. This is Mad Libs. All right, Mike Martini, I think you know how this game works. We're going to have you fill in the blanks, and we're going to come up with a little story. So the first thing I need is a profession, you know, any kind of profession.
2: What I was seeing last night on the news was uh, uh, Billy, Billie Jean King and Riggs and, uh, um, tennis pro. Ten, okay, tennis pro. That's a good one.
0: Tennis Pro. Um, next, I need a city, any city in the world.
2: Okay, flew in, sailed out of Rio de Janeiro. Rio
0: de Janeiro. when my baby smiles at me. That's where I go. Uh, a year, any year.
2: How any about year history? 1935.
0: 1935. An adjective, Mr. Uh, winemaker, descriptor? Lengthy. Lengthy, ooh, like that. Uh, another adjective?
2: about boring.
0: <laughs> That's how you're feeling about this game right now? Okay, and a plural noun. Horses. Horses. i just talk about your horseback riding. Okay, here it is. Michael Martini, I looked up on the Louis Martini website, your bio, and you have just rewritten a portion of it via Mad Libs. Here we go. Growing up in his father's and grandfather's vineyards, Michael Martini got a hands-on education in the art of crafting world-class wines. His formal study of viticulture began in the world-renowned tennis pro program at the University of California, Rio de Janeiro. (laughs) After graduation, Mike worked alongside his father, Louis P. Martini, before taking the reins as winemaker of Louis M. Martini Winery in 1935. Man, you've been on longer than you've let on. (laughs) Under his father's tutelage, Mike developed his own lengthy style, bringing balance, Ah, bringing balance and a boring texture to the family's Cabernet (laughs) blends. (laughs) Today, Michael Martini, third-generation winemaker, carries on at the historic winery in Napa Valley with his range of unforgettable Cabernet Sauvignon horses. Well... (laughs) Michael Martini, it has been an absolute pleasure having you here today. Uh, been a lot of fun getting to know your history. Very interesting. I hope folks will come visit you at uh, the winery. Check out the uh, M Squared Wines. Uh, go see your band. Book a cruise. Visit us on Facebook. Visit you on Facebook, which I imagine is um, Louis M. Martini. Louis, Louis M. Martini. And while you're on Facebook, go to the Judd's Hill page as well. You can see the pirate ship at uh, McCovey Cove at the Giants game that we talked about earlier. Lauren, any gigs coming up? Uh, Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. Well, we will let folks know as they do come up.
1: Would you like to talk us out, Mr. Lauren Mole? You've been listening to Judd's Napa Valley Show with Vintner Judd Finkelstein. Theme song by Gordon Lustig. Wardrobe by LaRue of Rutherford. Judd's Napa Valley Show is a Gil Lamar production. This is Lauren Mole saying so long from the world's wine wonderland. Thanks for digging another Judd's Napa Valley show with Vintner Judd Finkelstein.